Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. So good to be back. Um, I'm, I'm trying my best not to drag a little bit, but we, we, uh, we did just get back from a mission trip. You would think I had Thursday, Friday, Saturday to recover. Um, but uh, to give you an idea of um, what it was like, how many of you have ever worked VBS? Raise your hand if you ever worked VBS. Yeah, okay. So imagine if one day was worth about a week and a half of VBS. Like one day, we got done with the first day and it was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if we can do this. Uh, but we did and uh, we found strength, but we're you know, kind of paying for it now. But that's fine, it's all good, we got plenty of time. So uh, if, I'm, if I'm a little bit flatter this morning, I, I don't mean to be, I, I apologize. Um, that being said, uh, our, our hopes were, we went down and, and we brought some uh, photography and videography equipment and um, kind of one of one of the things that is on my heart as a pastor to do mission trips uh, is to go down because I love videography and photography and stuff like that. And so one of the things that I've had on my heart for you know a number of years, I would say um, probably six seven years, um, is to go into other countries myself and and, and if I have a team, good. Uh, but to go down and and to video and and to take photography and stuff like that, so that we can bring it back uh, because you never know who you might inspire in your church because I believe that right here in this church we'll have uh, missionaries and pastors and, and ministers and, and people who do short-term stuff or whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of times it just takes, um, you know, someone from this place going to spark the desire in someone else and then you never know what might happen to somebody. I've heard so many different testimonies of, of the way people became missionaries and stuff was really just because of testimony of other people going uh, so that's, that's really one of my heart's desires as a pastor to bring in a love for missions uh, into, uh, into our church. I know we always have, but for us as a church to go, bring those experiences back. So we really kind of thought we might just have like a highlight film or something um, where we could kind of just show and everything, but it, it was so much more than that. Um, we're gonna give ourselves a little bit of time. So uh, what we're uh, hoping to do, uh, me and the, and the rest of the team that went with us are gonna be doing uh, interviews today on camera, just kind of telling our experiences and stuff. And we're gonna put all of our footage together. And my, my desire is the Sunday before, uh, Miss Christie was talking about Pastor Jeff Duncan. He's the, he's the missionary, he's the pastor there. Um, he's gonna be here at the, end of, uh, at the end of the month. And so the Sunday before that, um, we're, we're really hoping to have everything done. And we may take a whole service and just show, basically we're, I think we've got enough footage really to do like a movie or a documentary on what we did. So we're gonna be working hard on that up until that point. And so that's my, that's my goal is to have that done the Sunday before he comes. That way we can kind of use a, a service for you guys to see and experience kind of what we experienced. And, um, and then the next week, Pastor Jeff will be here ministering to us. And I'll just say this, you know, I've, I've been believing God for, for uh, other uh, godly and, and, um, and ministry relationships um, really for a while now and just people that I, I believe, you know, I've, I've been in the ministry for 23 years and, and I have made some friends over the years, but, but also I've just run into a lot of issues um, where um, 
Uh, I'm not looking, how many of you know that even pastors aren't perfect, even ministers aren't perfect, right? I hope you understand that. I'm not looking for perfection in my relationships, but I am looking for integrity. How many think that we can have some integrity in relationships? And, and um, you know, unfortunately, over the last several years, I've just run into situations where, um, you know, the you know, people that I've been around uh, sometimes, I'm not talking about any particular person, I've just found myself in a place where um, I didn't necessarily agree with different directions uh, that people went uh, or that maybe things that they did to other people. And so really have been lacking in the, in the area, I have really good friends, don't get me wrong, but I've been lacking in the area of, of other pastoral friends. And, um, and past, me and Pastor Jeff, I mean, it was like, I didn't know, I didn't know if he just treated every pastor like this or he just hit it off with every pastor like this, but actually I had a couple of people uh, from the church come up to me and say, we've never seen him, you know, just really become friends with a pastor like he has you. And I felt the same way. And so, um, you know, I asked him if he ever came to churches and stuff. He's at, he said, well, actually, I'm going to be in the States uh, this month. And uh, I said, well, do you have a Sunday? And he had that last Sunday of August. And so we, I jumped on that. So he's going to come and you will really enjoy him. Great guy. I don't know that I've ever seen a missions ministry, our ministry really run so well uh, so organized, um, you know, it, it, it really was um, um, just a great trip. Even though uh, we worked really hard, I told the team, I said, I don't, I don't think that you'll ever go on a trip where you work any harder than what we worked, but I also know that you'll never go on a trip where you're, ever ta- where you're gonna be taken care of as well as they took care of us. Their level of hospitality was, uh, hospitality was through the roof. And so that made, that made it all easier for us because we would work uh, really hard all day um, not just physically, but spiritually too. And sometimes being spiritually drained is worse sometimes than being um, you know, physically drained. Uh, but they put us up in a great hotel. They fed us well. And so um, you know, it, it, it made it uh, a nice kind of sanctuary to come back to, uh, to recharge and, and get ready for the next day. Uh, so anyway, we'll, um, we're, we're gonna be you know, leading up to that. Give us a couple of weeks and we're gonna put together uh, the footage. And I, I really want it to be special for you guys uh, to be able to see it. So plan on being here the last two weeks of August because you're not gonna wanna miss those two services. Um, in the weeks leading up to us going to Mexico, I've been uh, teaching on uh, the uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit and I severely underestimated the importance of the timing that that study had on our trip. And um, the reason why I say that, I'll probably re-say this in a minute, but the reason why I say that is because um, we really, up until the last couple of days, really last, last several hours, um, we, we thought we were gonna go work. We thought we're gonna go build stuff, paint stuff, clean up stuff. That's what we all, we all brought work gloves and old clothes and all this stuff. And about a day before we left, um, Elijah was our contact with Pastor Jeff and um, he asked me, texted me, said, hey, would you be, Pastor Jeff wants to know if you'd be willing to preach a service. And I said, uh, well, I've never, done it. I've never done that with an interpreter, but yeah, sure. And uh, so ended up like maybe like three services. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I kind of knew that going into it. We get picked up from the airport and we go to the church, straight away to the church to have lunch. And as I'm talking with Pastor Jeff over lunch, I, I could have swore I heard him say, something about outreaches every evening. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't know that this was in the mix. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe he'll clarify this evening. And, uh, and so anyway, we go back to the hotel, we check in, we come back for dinner. 
and we have to be briefed. Well, in the briefing, we immediately find out that we are going to be doing lots of outreaches and maybe working. So I can feel the tension in the room with the team building because they're all looking at me and I'm trying not to make eye contact with them because I'm, I'm sitting there realizing what they're realizing at the same time. Of course, I've been doing this for 23 years, so I wasn't that nervous about it other than I've never, I've never done this with an interpreter with a language barrier. Uh, but for them, who have, uh, I would think, probably almost all of them had never got up and spoke in front of people ever at all. And he's talking about praying with people with an interpreter, giving your testimony, all these things. And I'm going, oh my goodness, they're going to crucify me. We get back to the hotel room. They are going to kill me and send me back home. And, um, and so I'm sitting there. Then, then when he gets done telling us what we're going to do, they bring in the children's church team. And they teach all of us dances and skits and, and costumes and all these things. And I can just, I'm still, I'm trying not to make eye contact with the rest of them. I'm just acting like this is normal business. And, uh, but anyway, um, so it was, it was uh, way different than what we ever thought we were going to be doing. And, and the reason why I say that is because um, we've been talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the number one reason why um, Jesus told us to go wait or told his disciples to go wait for the promise of the Father of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is so that you could have power to be a witness. You remember that? Acts, the uh, first chapter, uh, the eighth verse, and uh, this is the New King James. It says this. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, uh, we're not going to read the whole thing there, but one thing that I want to bring out to you is uh, Peter. The, uh, the, real, the real evidence, the real proof to me uh, about the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the testimony of Peter. If you remember Peter from, um, you know, before Jesus was crucified and then during Jesus' crucifixion and all that, you know, Peter was just kind of all over the place. One minute uh, he's saying all the right things, the next minute he's saying all the wrong things. Uh, and then uh, when, when Jesus is being crucified and he's fearing for his life, there are people saying, hey, aren't, weren't you with him? And he's, he's denying it. Of course, Jesus told him he would deny him three times before the, crucer, the rooster crows. And, um, and he did. He denied Jesus three different times. Even there was a young girl that, that pointed him out. And I think uh, he even, uh, Peter even said some choice words to the young girl uh, that, was, that was trying to point him out. And he runs away. He's scared. He has no boldness whatsoever because he sees what's happening to Jesus. And then fast forward, you go to the day of Pentecost, as we like to call it. Uh, and it was the day that, that the uh, initial believers received the Holy Spirit for the first time. The Holy Spirit was poured out on that day into the earth. And Peter, not only does he receive boldness, but he receives the, uh, the, the boldness. And then he walks straight out there and he preaches the first spirit-filled message. Really, if you go back and look at it, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And people are mocking uh, what's going on. People are confused. People are going, what is going on? They're amazed by this. And uh, they're astonished, one translation says. And then Peter stands up and he says, listen, these guys are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to tell them what the prophecy was in the book of Joel about the Spirit of God being poured out 
on all flesh, on your sons and on your daughters. And so you see the boldness straight away, uh, as Jesus said you would, uh, they would receive in Acts the first chapter, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be a witness. So that power is to be a witness, not just in your hometown, he says Jerusalem, which would have been their hometown, and all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so um, we will never be the witness for the kingdom of God that he intended us to be if we're only gonna rely on our own strength. We're never gonna be the witness that God intended every one of us to be. And you say, well, you know, I do this for a living or I do that for a living. I'm not a preacher for a living, so I don't really have to be concerned about that. And that's the problem. I believe that uh, a lot of times we think, and I'm not, not necessarily pointing you out, but I think uh, as the American church as a whole, we look at the ministry as far as people like me that, uh, that is paid uh, here at the church, paid staff, children's workers, uh, pastors and youth pastors and stuff like that, that, that's, that basically we've subcontracted our uh, witnessing uh, to, to people that have a gifting to pastor or have a gifting to preach. And um, I'll just be real frank and honest with you, that's not gonna fly. Because when we receive Christ, we also receive a mandate that we are to, uh, to witness. And uh, a big part of being a witness for Christ is having power to do that. And, and God supplies this, or Jesus supplies this through uh, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, one thing that became extremely apparent to me is the reality of what Jesus said in Matthew, the ninth chapter. Uh, and uh, when, I was, when, I was, when we were down there, this, this scripture just kept rolling around um, in me. And it's Matthew 9, uh, verses 35 through 38. It says, um, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Uh, this, this particularly, the rest of this verse, verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, so when he saw the masses of people, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Uh, and we'll finish this out in just a minute, but the reason why that just kept rolling around in me is because I think a lot of times growing up where, we, where we've grown up, I know not everybody necessarily has grown up in East Texas or in the southern parts of the United States, but I would, I would venture to say 95 to 98% of us have grown up right here in what would be considered the Bible Belt or whatever. And um, you know, here, you come out of the womb saved. Am I right? Right? We're saved just because mamaw's got a Bible or mamaw goes to this church or my parents are a member of that church or whatever. And we come out with this almost uh, salvation entitlement, like we're entitled to it. Um, and of course, that's got its own set of problems. Um, but one of the things that I can see is, is really just a, um, uh, we take it for granted. And um, it's apparently clear uh, when, when I stand in this pulpit week in and week out and you know the spirit of God's moving and you know the word of God is working in people's hearts and then you give an altar call and people are too prideful to answer it because they don't want everybody in the town to know that they've got issues, that they're not perfect, right? Because that would spoil the Instagram post, right? Or that you don't want everybody probably up to this point thinks I'm a good person and I'm saved, but I really do need Jesus, but I can't walk up there in front of everybody. So it's apparently clear that a lot of times our you know, just, ha and, and I'm, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful uh, to be in a place where, uh, you know, the preaching, uh, people just grow up kind of understanding the things of God, but also I think it can be a blockade for us really getting free in our life, amen? Uh, because we kind of have to put on 
this thing. Well, when you, when you go there, um, people are just looking uh, for something, or when you go to other places, and, and, and you have something that, is, that, that brings hope to them, they don't take that for granted because they see you and they see the effects of living in, in, uh, in a blessing uh, that God has, has put on us because we do serve God, because we do come and, 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 and do all those things. Uh, and then when you go down there, they see that on you. Uh, and then you're saying, hey, um, the reason why I have this joy, the reason why I have this peace, the reason why uh, this, that, and the other is because I've submitted my life to Christ. I've submitted my life to Jesus. Do you want Jesus? And they're like, yeah, I want something. I, I just want something that helps. And uh, the thing that, that kind of stuck out to me uh, a lot was uh, we went to a place where there was a lot of immigrants and they were coming out of Venezuela and Nicaragua and, and um, Honduras. And I know there was more, but that was the, the majority. I, I, f- I feel like we're more Venezuelans. And, uh, you know, they're, they have nothing. They, they have nothing but maybe like a jug of water, if that. Or, you know, they're, they're dirty. They've been traveling for five months. Their country is, is collapsing under socialism. And they're just trying to, to find work. And, you know, here in America, if, uh, and I'm not saying across the board, but, but I would say the majority of, of homeless people in America, a lot of it has to do with uh, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, uh, things of that nature that puts them in those positions. These people are like me and you that owned restaurants and businesses and, and worked different places. Their, their society collapsed under socialism, and they are just trying to find somewhere they can provide for their family. Uh, and so you're sitting there and you're asking them, can I pray with you? And they're telling you their story. Not one of them asked me for money. Not one of them asked me for a bottle of water. Not one of them asked me for anything to eat. And uh, I asked this, most of them wanted us to pray for their families, uh, for safety, for peace, for comfort. This one guy, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because the way he described it to me, um, he's, he's asking me to pray for for his for PTSD, a post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, or disorder, because he was saying that that he had been. They, I don't know if it was the cartel or who it was, but somebody um, pulled him off to the side and threw him down on the ground, made him put his hands behind his back and stuck a machine gun in his neck. So he wasn't he wasn't hurt, but he was just traumatized and and stuff. And so um, it, it's not it's not. It's not the same, and, and, and we're sitting there going, you know, let me, do you know about Jesus? And a lot of them uh, grow up knowing the name Jesus, but that's why they asked, asked us not to say, uh, have, have you made, or I can't remember how they exactly worded it, but basically, um, you need to tell them about your testimony, how God's made a difference in your life, so that, and then you ask them on that level, because a lot of them will give a, a religious response to do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus, you know, uh, rather than do you have Jesus as Lord in your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And so Jesus said when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. But this is what he told his disciples. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I, I mean, I've, I've read that scripture. I've known that scripture. I, I understood that scripture from a limited point of view. Uh, but then when you go and you see these people that are just hungry for something that helps, something that works, um, you truly begin to see how, um, how few the laborers really are. Um, it says, and Jesus, this is what he told his disciples, not only are we supposed to go out and labor, but he says, therefore pray 
the Lord of the harvest. Well, God is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so uh, it's not just our job to go out into the harvest, but it's also our job to pray for laborers to be sent forth into his harvest for the calling, gifts and callings of God on people that are called to do that will rise up and go do that. And, um, you know, just seeing that there's a world out there that's hungry for what uh, you and I enjoy and, and, and quite possibly take for granted. And I, and I know I have. Um, uh, that, that was different. That was different for me because I haven't. I haven't really been anywhere. And I went not only with my American mind, but I went with my Southern American mind where most of the time when you try to give an altar call or whatever, most people just go, yeah, I got Jesus. But to go down there and you're like, Does, who wants to receive Jesus? And, and all the hands go up. And, um, you know, when uh, there, was, there were several places that we would go and all these towns, all these um, uh, colonies or whatever, they, um, all of them had like a president or what they, would, what they would call the boss of the village or the town. And almost everyone we went to, they had never, this church and ministry had never been there before. And by the time we got done loving on their people and, and, and their kids and everything, they were welcoming us. They want, they want you to come back. They want you to plant something there. They want you to do something there because of the, just the joy that you, you brought and the love that you brought into that place. But I think that we uh, struggle with witnessing because we see it from uh, a natural point of view only. Uh, we think of what we're doing uh, we think of doing it with our own natural strength and ability, and we know and understand our shortcomings and our weaknesses. So when I, th when I would think about witnessing up until this point, and I would because that's what I do, right? I'm a pastor, and you just kind of have to get over it. Uh, but a lot of times I would think of it um, from strictly a, a natural point of view of maybe understanding or knowing um, certain people and how certain people are, and you're thinking, I don't even know if they're gonna receive this or not. Um, but, you know, we were never meant to witness for God apart from him. You know, you're not, you're not called to be a witness for God apart from him, apart from his help, apart from his power and his anointing on your life. Um, the love that we have is not even our own. It's, it's actually supernatural love that we have. The Bible says that the love of God, how many of y'all would think that that God's kind of love is, is supernatural. It's, it goes beyond natural love. It says the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the love that we're supposed to go with people is supernatural, meaning that you can care for someone, you can have compassion on someone, but when you extend the love of God towards something, there's something supernatural going on there that goes beyond you, and it communicates beyond what we're able to communicate. And that's where, why God just needs people to reach out. And I'm not, this isn't a plug for missions. This is, this is me saying as Christians, and whether you're in your school or whether in your home, in your town or wherever you're at, don't think of you carrying the love of God uh, into those places in a natural way because it's not natural love, it's supernatural love. And you don't know what God could do with you if you would just be faithful to reach out and just say something. And there's been, there's been people in my life that, that I feel like I've, I've you know, been over backwards for, um, you know, to, to put it lightly. And, it, it, you know, and it, it's almost like it's expected. But then there's been other people that I've just extended the love of God to them and it didn't feel like I did anything at all. And every time I see them, I'm like, oh, thank you for everything that you've done. I'm like, I don't feel like I've done anything. What is that? That's because it went beyond what I could do naturally. It, went, it was the love of God being extended 
from my life, and you're no different. You know, all you need, all you have to do is when the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you to say that encouraging thing to that person or nudges you to say, hey, can I, can I pray with you or, or, or whatever. It's, it's never, it, it rarely looks like a, a big, huge thing, maybe like what we did this week. All that looked really big and all that looked really huge, but most of the time it's, it's, it's just a little small, seemingly small thing that happens uh, within a conversation or within something, but most of the time uh, we're, we're, we're overly concerned about how the um, situation we're in affects us and how we're feeling about this situation. Um, most of the time, and I'm, I'm just gonna be honest, most of the time, uh, even me, I'm not, I'm not putting you guys on, on the spot, but most of the time we're, we're um, complaining about leadership or we're complaining about the situation or, or we'll, we'll spend hours talking to a friend or a coworker or something about all the things we dislike about what's going on, and you could be spending that time uh, telling them how much God loves them, right? You could be spending that time giving a testimony about what God's doing in your life. But a lot of times we don't even recognize what God's doing in our life because we're so inundated with what's not happening. Amen? We're so concerned about what our kids aren't doing or what our husband isn't doing, what our wife isn't doing, what our job isn't doing, what our town isn't doing, what our school isn't doing, what our boss isn't doing, what our employees aren't doing, that we don't even see what God is doing. Amen? And if we understood and we focused more on what God is doing, we would speak more about what God's doing and less about what's not going on. Amen? Is this okay? I think that a lot of times, too, we think of the possibilities of being rejected and persecuted. I know I, I do. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, you know, my youth pastor growing up, he was classic evangelistic guy. You know, he would, um, he would go pick up a bunch of guys in our youth group and ride up, you know, uh, we had a Kroger's parking lot in Magnolia, but that's where everybody hung out and got into trouble. And... Uh, I remember our youth pastor, you know, he would load up a bunch of teenagers and they would go to Kroger parking lot and they would, I mean, he was the guy that would stand up in the back of somebody's pickup truck and preach the gospel and, you know, 50 teenagers would get saved right there in the middle of the parking lot. Well, I kind of thought if I'm gonna be a youth pastor, I gotta, have to, I gotta do the same thing. And uh, two, <laughs> two different times, I, um, I got in my truck when I first got here, 19, 20 years old, and I headed to Brookshire's parking lot and I made the loop around all the teenagers and I, I couldn't stop, I just pulled back out. Some of y'all are probably in there. I don't know. So I thought, I got, I got the nerve up again. I went back up through there and I, I, I pulled in and I made a loop and I looked and everybody's just staring at me like, what is going on here? And I just pulled right back out. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Another time I was, I remember I was at the house and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna be a better witness for Christ. And you know, so I, I jumped in the car and, and I'm looking for people to witness to and I, and uh, I was like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do the Brookshire's parking lot drive-by again. And uh, so I went up to New Way, and um, I went in there. There was nobody there but the cashier. And I went in there, and I bought a drink, and as I'm going, I'm like, Jesus loves you, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more of a different type of mentality for that, and if you can do that, that's great. And if, or if the Lord tells you to do that, that's great. Most of the time, it's in just the small moments in life with your kids or your grandkids or your coworkers, people that, um, especially in today's age, I believe that most people listen to people that they, they trust and that they, 
they feel comfortable with, and that's the people that really need to hear uh, how God's working in your life the most are the ones who know you and, and do know your shortcomings and your failures, and you can still say, hey, I'm not perfect, um, but I don't know where I'd be without God. And um, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. That's the other thing I think we don't want to get asked questions that we don't know the answers to. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I, all I know is, is that, that, that the Lord saved me, redeemed me, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being renewed uh, daily, just like everybody else, and I don't have all the answers, and I'm not perfect, um, but I'm telling you, um, when, when everybody else wants to be scared or wants to live in fear or, or all this stuff's going on and they don't have anything to turn to but maybe uh, you know, some kind of addiction or some kind of thing that is, is an unhealthy coping mechanism, when everybody else has that, I don't turn to that, I turn to God, I turn to Jesus. And that right there can make the difference in somebody's life. Um, when people reject you though, you gotta think about this way, what if you do get rejected? Well, if people reject you for witnessing of what Jesus has done in your life, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Amen? So if I'm here this morning and I'm preaching the word of God to you and it is the word and I'm not adding anything to it and you reject that word, did you reject my word? No, I think a lot of pastors, they get their feelings hurt because people don't wanna listen to, you know, they, they, they say something, else. well, you're not rejecting my word, you're rejecting God's word. You know, I'm just the messenger, right? And the old saying, don't shoot the messenger. You're the messenger, you're the witness telling the story of what you've seen the Lord do in your life. The pressure's not on you. You have to take all the pressure off of you. Uh, we shouldn't be pushed by religious pressure, but consumed, get this, you shouldn't be pushed by religious pressure to share your faith. We ought to be consumed with compassion to simply share the love of God that we've experienced. Amen? Let's go to the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite stories um, this is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years after the day of Pentecost. So after the first initial infilling of the Holy Spirit by the disciples, this is 10 years later. And this ought to really, um, this ought to really concern you too because um, is there anybody, and I'm not being facetious, I'm just asking, is there anybody in here that is like, your, your heritage is Jewish, you're a full-blood Jew. Anybody in here? I'm, I'm seriously wondering. Okay, well, this script, these series of scripture is so important to you and I because this is the first time that the gospel and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is offered and received by, the, by Gentiles. So up until this point, everything that God has ever done has been, has been for really just the Jewish people. But when Jesus came and died, he didn't just die for the Jewish people, he died for the entire world, for God so loved the world. And so this is the, the first... Uh, this is the first instance. This is where our uh, spiritual lineage come from as, as Gentiles. Um, and I love origin stories. I, I, love, I love knowing how something started. Well, this is how us sitting in this church this morning, this is where we started. If you want to find out where we started, you say, no, we started in a little church over in Logansport. No, this is where we started. We started at Cornelius' house. Listen to this. There was a certain man of uh, Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion uh, of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with his household, who gave alms generously to people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to, in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? 
So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his uh, household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him uh, continually. So when he had explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, uh, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound uh, by, four, by the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Uh, uh, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Of course, Peter is still adhering to the, the Old Testament Jewish law, which there was different foods they were not uh, supposed to eat. So Peter is really thinking this is uh, some kind of a test by God. And um, so he sees all these things coming down that he's not, that's not kosher for him to eat as a Jew. And he says, a voice came uh, to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken back up into heaven. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent uh, from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and they asked whether, whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore and go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the, to the men and had, uh, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am the one whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they say, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Uh, and the following day, they entered Caesarea. Uh, now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also just a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of, uh, of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. Um, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know the rest of that. Um, so I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, 
So I, I know that's a lot to get to. Um, but what I want you to see is um, this is a pivotal moment in history. If this doesn't happen, we're not here because the Jewish world was, were taught in the, in the Old Testament to not uh, mix with races or different things like that. They want the bloodline needed to be pure, uh, that those people, the Gentiles, were, were, were not clean. And now God is incorporating the rest of the world into salvation, incorporating the rest of the world into the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes and he makes it known, I'm not really, you know, it's, it's risky for me to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. But the Lord told me to come and Cornelius said, yeah, I'm supposed to listen to what you have to say. And so Peter just begins to rehearse what happened to him, what happened to them. So then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works uh, righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on, a, on the tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sin. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed, that's talking about the Jews, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. Now, Peter does this. And when he gets back, the, the Jews were not happy because he had offered something to the Gentiles that, were supposed, that they felt like was supposed to be only to the Jews. And of course, Peter says again, he goes, listen, all I was doing was telling them what Jesus has done for us. And while I was talking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did us. He said, who was I to withstand God? And so they had to kind of accept that. And so uh, I say all that to say this, that this is, this is, how, we, this is how we started, you know? This is where the, the crossover happened in this moment in Cornelius' house. I, and, and, and really, I'm not, I'm not trying to use this as any kind of a, um, you know, um, a manipulative, manipulative tactic. But if you look at it, um, uh, you know, in, in the word, the angel says that Cornelius, the reason why he got brought up as the man, as the person 
who, was, who God was going to use, the family God was going to use to bring, um, you know, not only salvation, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the Gentile world. He said, I was, basically, I was looking through all these men and, and your prayers, I saw how you prayed and I saw your alms, I saw how you gave. Isn't that interesting that God was looking at that, that God was watching that and that's how he chose who he was going to use in that day, a man that feared God, a man that worked righteousness and, 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 and this guy didn't even have, he wasn't even a Jew, but he had uh, apparently had worked close uh, to the Jews because it said he was a he was uh, well known and that he was well respected in the Jewish community, and so he had undoubtedly heard the stories of God. And even though he knew uh, that that nothing that God had was available for him, he still re- uh, respected and feared and gave and prayed to a God that at that moment in time wasn't his. And God saw that man's heart, and God poured out His Spirit in that man's home. But what had to happen? happen before all that. I mean, Cornelius had an angel sitting in his living room. Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel? Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel? Why doesn't an angel just come and preach to your family and your friends and your co-workers? An angel was sitting in Cornelius's house and God still needed a man to preach the gospel. God's part is he died for you. He was buried and resurrected, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. That was God's part. Our part is to receive that and to go and tell people that don't know. An angel's not going to do it. Men preach the gospel. Amen? Amen? I think a lot of times we say, do it, Lord, do it, Lord, do it, Lord. God did it. What are you going to do about it? The ball's in our court. Amen? So, when we see this, Peter simply was telling Cornelius, I don't even think Peter wanted to be there, to be honest with you. I think that's why the Apostle Paul came to be, because Peter really, you can see it all through the Gospels, he, it was hard for him to get rid of his prejudice. He couldn't, he would go hang out with the Gentiles as long as there was no Jews around. Peter, I mean, uh, Paul even called him out on it one time. Um, I don't think Peter really wanted to be there, but he, was, he knew enough to know if you know, God shows me a vision, I gotta I got go do it. Because you see that by when he opened his mouth, he's like, you know, it's, it's not good for me to be here, right? And I can almost see Peter having the attitude of I'm just doing what I was told to do. And God still supernaturally brought what he needed to bring into that home. So what I'm saying to you is you don't put the pressure on yourself to bring in the supernatural effect of preaching the gospel. It's your just responsibility to give your witness and to tell people the gospel. That's, that's it. You're not responsible to save them. You're not responsible to make them believe. You're not responsible for, uh, that's God's part. Peter came in and just began to tell the story of Jesus and it says, while he yet spake, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell in that place and all those people received the gospel. 
I love origin stories. I love how that starts. And, and uh, I didn't even ask, but um, while we were there, I was told how um, the church down there in, in Leon started. And there was this wonderful man uh, and, and woman, husband and wife, and they're you know, super quiet, but just workers. And the husband, he was the one, he had a, a nice truck with a camper shell, and he was the one that transported all the equipment all the week. And we, so we got to know Raul really well. He, he was, um, you know, just basically just say, I mean, my, my conversation with Raul was, hey, Raul, and he'd go, hey, you know, that's about it, you know. But uh, sweet man, you could just tell he was a worker, that he loved the church, he loved what he was doing. His wife, she cooked for us all week along with a lot of other people, um, just sweet, wonderful people. And um, really that church started in their home. And, um, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff, and I'll, he'll probably tell the story, but just in short, basically they just felt like that's where they were supposed to go. They really didn't have a lot of contacts or a lot of anything. They just felt like that's where they're supposed to be. So they went there, and, um, and Raul's wife, um, I believe, was, was cleaning their home. And she, that's how they had, a, they had several kids. And, and so she was there helping clean in their home. And, and uh, she got to know her, and, and, and they were talking. She would talk about her son, Raul's wife, so Raul's son, when he was real little, that he had these two imaginary friends. And they didn't really think a lot about it because he's a kid, and he's got these imaginary friends. But the more... Um, Pastor Jeff's wife talked to her about the imaginary friend. She began to get worried. Well, then one day, uh, Raul's wife come to the pastor's wife and said that um, her son's being tormented by these imaginary friends at night, that he won't sleep, that he's, they found him hiding under his bed, and they quickly realized these are like real demons that are tormenting this child. And so the wife said, well, we can pray for him. We can come pray for your house. And she was a part of a different religion and so she said no I'm going to take them there took them there they they basically said there's nothing wrong with the kid and you know it's all whatever took him to the doctor and all this stuff and nothing was getting better and and long story short there's a lot more to it but long story short they went they finally came to them and wanted them to pray and so they went and prayed over the house and they prayed over the child and I think he said that the the boy slept for like I don't know maybe like 24 hours or something after that just he was just completely exhausted and the, the, the imaginary friends, which were not, they were demons, never came back. The boy uh, slept and all that stuff. And so through that, um, they wanted to get saved. And so they get saved. And then they kept asking Pastor Jeff to come over to their house and that they were gonna have some family there. He said, before I knew it, he said, we're, at, we're sitting in a house and there's 150 of his family members sitting in their home. And he's preaching the gospel to all of them. Don't, don't underestimate that. I know he's a pastor and he's a missionary and I'm a pastor, but don't underestimate your ability to bring the supernatural into people's natural lives. Because you never know what God can do with that. And to me, it so mimicked the story here at Cornelius' house. As Peter came in and just to witness to Cornelius to do what God said to do and the Holy Spirit fell at home and it spread. And you're sitting in your church pew, your church chair pew this morning, listening to the gospel because Cornelius invited the gospel into his home. Amen?
and because Peter was faithful to go preach it. Is this okay? Stand up on your feet. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the Word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.